Hello, it's Tim Watton. That's Cotton with a W. Welcome to the Gift Podcast, which focuses on the power of the mind and presence to overcome life and health challenges, bringing more resilience, calm, and joy. My guest today is Alice Peterson, who is 45 and lives in West London. She is a celebrated author with over nine novels, who I met when she was researching a particular book called A Song for Tomorrow, the true story of a celebrated singer, Alice Martineau, who had cystic fibrosis, as do I. Alice, welcome to the show. Hi, it's a pleasure to have you with me. That's great to be here. It's lovely. Okay, so um, your first book actually was your own memoir, and it was called Another Alice. Can you explain why? Yes, I kind of feel like I've had two lives, really, Tim. So the first 18 years of my life, well, certainly from the age of about 11 to 18, uh, tennis was my complete passion. And I used to write in my diary every night that I wanted to be the next Wimbledon champion. My mother drove me from A to B, going to endless tournaments. And um, I kind of rose up the ranks. I was in the county, Hampshire. Then I was in the Southern Regional. And then I played in the Nationals, which is basically just means you're like a top junior player. And everything was sort of going my way, really. But um, I didn't know... I didn't know at this stage that my journey was going to come to an end when I was 18. I'd signed up to go to America on a tennis scholarship. and I was going to study, but I got pain in my right hand. And um, I went to the doctors. They took x-rays. I had blood tests over the next three months. And um, I was eventually diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And so kind of what has happened since I was 18. I'm now, as you said, I'm now 45. I have had a completely different life. I am another Alice. I've been through experiences that I never thought I would go through. And um, I kind of wanted to write about that change and what I've learned through that change and kind of, um, you know, get it onto paper and and, um, help others maybe who are going through similar situations. Okay, so that was the name of your memoir. Give a very brief explanation of what rheumatoid arthritis is for the uninitiated. Well, I mean, it's um, it's basically it's an autoimmune disease. You can get it at any age, um, and it primarily affects the joints. So we all have an immune system, and our immune system protects, hopefully, our body against viruses, against bacteria. But in my case, my immune system mistakenly attacks my joints, so it creates a lot of pain. It creates immobility. It's it's pretty nasty, and it affects it affects mainly your feet and your hands, but it can affect your knees, your ankles. I mean, it affects everything. Okay, doesn't it affect your good looks though. Oh, thank you, too. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> and uh, it's just, it gets worse over a period of time. Um, and what treatment regime do you need to have each day to keep on top? Well, when I first was diagnosed, I do remember my doctor saying to me, you know, there are people who get it not too badly and life can carry on as normal. 
Um, my godfather has it and he plays golf and you know, it, it affects people so differently. So I'm really aware that when I tell you how it's affected me, it, it, it's, it's a very individual thing. My doctor said that I unfortunately had it in a, a, severe, a severe way and he knew that my life was going to be pretty much turned upside down. He said, within five years, Alice, I, I think you're going to be in a wheelchair, which actually wasn't very helpful at the time. But no. he was really kind of saying, I'm really, I'm really sorry. Um, this, is, this is a nasty kind of disease. And it just, it, it's, it really took hold of me. You can manage it. I mean, eventually I found a drug that um, has, uh, it sort of manages it. it. There's no cure. But there are treatments out there, many more treatments now than when I was diagnosed, which um, sort of hold the disease, if that makes sense. And so they can't reverse the damage, but it, it, it keeps it in check and it, it makes it Stabilize. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, taking pills shouldn't be competitive, though with people with cystic fibrosis it can be. But are you on quite a few tablets a day to keep you in check? I'm definitely not on as many as you, Tim. I know that. <laughs> I think you're on about 40. Yeah, um, I win that one then. Okay. <laughs> so you win that. One, one nil. Um, <laughs> I take, um, I kind of take a small cocktail. I don't take as much as I used to, but I take kind of anti-inflammatories on an anti-TNF an anti drug. I don't want to get too technical. It's just an injection that I take once a fortnight. And um, I'm on various other painkillers when I need them. So it is, it is manageable. Okay. Uh, lots of nice different colours to make it interesting? Not really. Oh, no. That's a shame. Probably not. not. <laughs> the one particularly yellow one that I enjoy the most each day. But uh, that's just me being ridiculous. Um, you had to deal, we've come to terms with this, in, your, in, the, in the years when you went to university, when everyone else was fairly carefree, as I did when I left uh, home in Southampton to move away to London suddenly the buck stopped with me and you and I probably would have gone through very similar experience for taking responsibility while at the same time struggling to know what your body's telling you oh yes I mean I would not like to go back to being 18 19 again and relive those years I mean on the one hand it was fantastic being at university I didn't I'd ever get there and the alternative was being at home and kind of nursed by my parents so I was very I'm very proud that I got through university but it was really tough I'd have to see my doctors regularly and there was really very little they could do at that stage and you have to walk to lectures your um, your your peers want you to join in they want you to you know party like mad as, as would I have I would love to have been a normal student and I think the added complication for me was that um, I was 18 and I really hadn't accepted it at all. So I wouldn't tell people. So if they said, oh, Alice, you know, you're limping here. Let me give you, let me give you a hand. And somebody would carry my heavy books from the library. And then they'd say, you know, how come, are you limp how come you're limping? And I just couldn't bring myself to say I've got rheumatoid arthritis because just sounded you know when you're 18 so uncool and so unglamorous and yeah. will anyone understand I mean I didn't even understand what it was then so I I, I just you know I just at that stage I just said no no there's not, nothing wrong you know I'm just a bit tired and um, so added to the kind of physical strain and, and, and emotionally still going through such a tough time I then wasn't letting any of my friends help me so um, yeah. I would just 
cry a lot, Tim. I, I remember going home after three weeks of, of being at Bristol, and I think I just cried the entire car journey home with my mum from you know a two-hour journey. It was wonderful. Yeah, you never, never forget those moments, do you? No, I'll never forget it. No. I mean, that, it was particularly tough at the beginning. I mean, it, it and it it didn't get a lot easier, but. It, it, you know, what got easier for me was when I did tell people, and at least then I felt like I was supported. Um, it wasn't just down to my parents. It's important. Yeah, and I recall because I've read your your book, another Alice. Recommend it to listeners. Um, one thing was that you had little tricks that you do maybe at the top of a flight of stairs just to give yourself a moment. You'd look at the notice board or just something oh, yeah. that rings a bell. Yeah, you get quite clever. Um, when you're covering up, you, you, you find all kinds of little tricks. So yeah. I would, yes, if I was really sore and in pain, I'd suddenly pretend to be fascinated by something on the notice board. <laughs> <laughs> and um, things like I used to uh, kind of hide in the backseat of taxis um, to go to lectures and then I'd say to the cab driver just drop me off here no one will see me and um, so I was pretty broke as well as in a lot of pain uh, I yeah you just you just find ways um, until it then just gets way too much you feel like you're leading this double life um, yeah and sometimes that doesn't stop. I mean, with my cystic fibrosis and my diabetes, I, on the whole, even though I'm releasing this podcast and have a book, you know, yeah. with people I meet day to day, it's on a need to know basis if I tell them. And when I play hockey, field hockey recently in the heat, um, my trick is when I'm literally out of breath, I just go bend down and do my lace up or, or don't even do it up. I just look like I'm going to. So yeah. if anybody's playing hockey against me, just pass the ball my way when I'm yeah. doing that, because I won't better move, you know. But oh. so but yeah, yeah you, I, you have to build, you have to find ways to make it work for you, don't you? So long as it's not hurting you, I think that. But I think that sounds really sensible what you do. But I think with me at Bristol, it was actually beginning to hurt me. You know, yeah. uh, I do remember one. Um, particular night, I think it was in Freshers Week, but it was certainly really early on in, in, in my first term. And I was in the bar and got chatted up and this nice guy said, oh, we should play tennis. You know, how about let's, let's make up a doubles. Yeah. And I picked up a racket since I was diagnosed. I mean, I, there was no, I couldn't even hold a racket by that stage. And I, I remember saying to him, I don't, I don't like tennis. I don't. I, I'm, not, I'm no good at sport and then I oh. conversation then carried on and then I remember going back to my room later on that night and I just looked at the picture of me playing tennis and I thought you've just lied to yourself you've lied to him it, it, it was just I understand why I said it but it was really costing me being you know, not, not talking my, my truth really yeah, and how did it feel to have such a, a promising tennis career and then it was just taken away aged only 18? Oh, oh, I mean, I think initially it was all about the tennis and it was like, it felt like something I had loved so much was being taken away from me. I felt really punished. Um, why me? You know, that all that anger. I kind of liken it a little bit to like a grieving process. You know, you've lost 
you've lost the sport, you've lost your health, you've lost the old you, you know. And so I, I can't really put it into words. It was just, I just somehow got through it. But it was, you know, it was terrible. It was painful. It was like losing something, I, losing somebody I, you love, really. Yeah. And then years go on, it, it becomes less about the tennis. It becomes more about, I just want to fight to have a good life. The tennis days seem pretty distant now. I don't yeah. sit here and think, oh, I wish I could play tennis. It's a sadness that sits with me and it will be with me all my life. Yeah. But now I feel very differently. I just want, um, I want to be happy. I want, you know, I just want that, you know, my health to, to I want to carry on Change feeling the priorities, well. don't you? You do, yes. Yeah. And I, I, similarly, we, we, we do have lots of crossover because I played for England juniors at hockey. Um, and probably when I got to university age 18, in theory, my hockey career was still going well. But actually, it was that harsh realization age 18 and 19, trying to cope on my own when I was away, that I couldn't probably pursue the hockey career that maybe my talent could have given me. So, yeah, I had that, that harsh realization. I've kept playing all my life because I'd rather play something than play nothing, plus it's kept my lungs active. So I just changed what it meant to me and how I can use it. Um, yeah. But what did you learn most from this setback? And, you know, we talk about overcoming despair, um, and then you started embracing a new uncertainty. Just explain to listeners what you learned from it. Okay, um, I think the main thing that I learned from it was um, the, the, the power of stuff that you get from other people. Um, I would get an awful lot of, you're so brave, you know, um, and yes, yes and no. I mean, you kind of have no choice in, in, in the matter in, in many ways, but I think I've really learned that the love I have received from my parents, particularly and my, my family and, and friends, I couldn't get by with, without that. And I think, you know, you need something to really kind of dig deep and get over this hurt. And for me, it was, it was their love and their unconditional support all the time. And I, and I think I've really realized that pain affects other people. So yes, it, it was horrendous for me. I'm sure you'll get this, Tim, you know, with Katie, your wife, and, you know, they're alongside you every step of the way, and it's horrible for them to watch and feel very helpless. And my dad used to always say, oh, I wish it was me. Why? Why am I Alice? So I kind of think that that's a really big thing. It was a really big turning point for me to realize that it's not just about me. And then once I realized that, just kind of together, then we've we've got through it. And I, and I really, really struggle sometimes worrying about people who don't have that support and who, who don't turn to people yeah. um, I think that must be incredibly well, one of the chapters of, of my memoir um, How Have I Cheated Death was not alone similarly to what you've just said so there's yeah. no way I could cope on my own and each family member or friend brings something different exactly. they don't all do the same thing they just bring something different and one might be that they they, they pull your leg a lot, you know, but actually that person's yeah. really useful for that because you, yeah. you can't moan to them and, and that's actually good. You, if you don't always want to be a broken record and be moaning, you know that one friend actually sees you, loves you just the way you are, but actually can also pull your leg. 
Yeah. And they're going to make you go out when you don't feel like it. You know, yeah. you feel down in the dumps. They're going to, come on, Alice, you know, you're being boring even for you. You know, come on, uh, get on with it. And you, yeah, you, you're right. You need different friends for different things. Yeah. You just, life is incredibly hard. And it's really, it's even harder when you're alone. And so I think that's the big thing I've learned. Because I think up until then, you know, up until 18, you're living a carefree, normal life. And that's right. That's the way it should be. Yeah. But I think something happens you do stop and you think who who's around me you know I lost a lot of friends along the way I lost people that I lost a lot of my tennis friends they just didn't know what to say um, and that was hard but we, we were young so I don't I don't blame them but I just think that that's what you learn you kind of learn who is going to stay by stick by your side and um, muddle on through and, and my friends still muddle on through with me you know it's it's, it's well, you've got some wonderful friends I know so to explain or ask you um, your aha moment about uh, writing and this innate talent you had that maybe if you'd stayed a tennis player may never come to fruition but explain to me or tell me about when you had that aha moment about writing did it start with another Alice and just kick off from that um, no do you know it's, it happened really randomly I met um, one of my dad's friends, he came over for tea and he said to me, um, Alice, how are you? And it was, I, I think I was home from university and I was about to face some surgery on my feet. And do you know what, Tim, for once, I, rather than saying, oh, I'm all, I'm all right, you know, that's up a lip, kind of don't show anyone how you really feel. I kind of said, you know what, Robert, I'm really shit and I'm struggling and I, I miss my tennis and everything I think it all came spilling out the poor guy probably thought oh my god I wish I'd, I'd never asked but he said you know what you need to write this all down and I think he he saw in me something and he realized it would just really help me to get it onto paper so I was lucky and he then said if you want to show me something you've written then you know I'd love to see it and um, so he said why don't you write about you know one of your favorite tournaments and um, so I kind of, I went up with mom's help. I remember going up into the loft and I dusted off my old sort of little laptop. We didn't have computers back then. I'm a Canon star writer. And um, I kind of dug out all my old tennis scrapbooks and pictures that I hadn't looked at since I was diagnosed. And um, all the tournament draws, you know, and remembering all the old faces and the friends I had. And I just wrote about it tournament and then he read it and he said you know this is really funny and and I really enjoyed it so why don't you carry on and and um so it all happened very you know it just goes to show you never know what's going to happen but that's that was I never sat there and thought oh I've got a story to tell it was kind of like he was the one in the end that said Alice you know when he collected together all my memories he said right we've got a real story here let's make it into a book so go okay. and do that and it just grew from then. The it feedback was positive. And it, yeah, I had some of the best. Uh, I loved that time. I used to go and see him probably once or twice a month. And we'd sit by the fire. He was much older than me. He was my father's friend. And he'd worked in publishing. But he kind of knew what he was talking about. And um, we just had, he, we became such good friends and he read my work and he, he was my mentor really. He gave me the confidence to really 
know, find an agent and take it from just writing, you know, to actually presenting somebody with something that's entertaining and moving, funny, you know, a book. So, um, and, and I, I think your writing is very, very special. But explain to listeners the type of novel that you tend to write, because it is sure. you are yeah. quite differentiated. Well, I think my, my, I mean, my memoir, Another Alice, it reads like fiction. So it's, it's from, it begins with the voice really of an 11 year old saying, I've just picked up my a tennis racket. I've fallen in love. So it's very, it's, it, it, it's not sort of formal in any way. It's a story. Um, and then with my other novels, what I've kind of done is taken my experience of overcoming adversity and I thought how can I put that into fiction and the best thing to do is to 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 meet people who have had you know who have stories to tell like like I mean we all have stories to tell but with with the the book that I met you with a song for tomorrow that was a good example of how you know somebody like Alice Martineau who was a singer and songwriter who born with cystic fibrosis and um, I don't need to tell you what how how hard that is and her dream was to be a singer and I thought that's a really powerful story I want to know more about her and so yeah. that so that it, it, it's the power of the human spirit it's the power of the fight in people and, and what it takes to you um you know I've lost the word but it, it, that's it's that kind of story so if somebody tells me that they've got um about disability or adversity then I'm always interested okay and you write so vividly and uh, you put yourself in that person's shoes so with um, the the novel about Alice Martineau which was based yeah. on f- part truth and part fiction it was a good blend uh, there's probably a uh, an author's way of explaining that better than I've just done but it's the song for tomorrow is a beautiful book and but also very profound because poor Alice Marsnow didn't survive much beyond her 30th birthday. Uh, she was, she released one album That's right. like with Sony. Um, and yeah, you just have a, a really uncanny ability to put yourself in the shoes of that person. And yes, yes, you've got through your life dealing with uh, rheumatoid arthritis, do you think that gives you a bit of a head start as opposed to maybe other authors for how you can so cleverly and insightfully put yourself in their shoes in your writing? Um, I wouldn't say I'm ahead of other authors. I think it's more my choice. So another author probably might not see a story in, in things that I see. Um, we're all drawn to such different, different things. And, um, but yes, I think just, when life gives you a tough, you know, you get a tough hand, basically. I think I'm actually more drawn to people who've had a tough hand as well. And I think, yeah, I've been through rheumatoid arthritis, but I think pain and suffering and loss is universal. So whether it's RA or whatever condition, I think you have an insight. I think sometimes there are people who don't have anything, but they have empathy. I think empathy is the word that you're looking for, where you just have, you can see 
and feel for people and you can put yourself in their position and, and that's what I try and do um, and um, I think it probably ha has helped me and that I, ha I kind of have been through a lot of stuff yeah so, um, but I think what helps me most is that that's what interests me so I become very passionate about it and you know, when I listened to Alice Martineau's song, um, it's the beautiful song, Inside of You. And it made me cry. And I felt for her. I felt for the loss that she'd had. And I, and I just thought to myself, I really, really want to write that story. And um, I didn't feel sorry for her. I felt in awe of her. And I think that's what I want to get across. Yeah. Oh, dear me, you know, they are about how when stuff comes along, you know, don't give up and um, no matter what the ending is it's it's celebrating that person's spirit and that and Alice was she, she didn't want anyone to feel sorry for her did she no no she defeated like I don't and you don't no exactly. which leads me on to ask you yes our conditions are very physical the way they affect us uh, coughing is but every day it's ubiquitous for me um, it's very very time-consuming with the meds but also very tiring um, the power of the mind is has been I've learned so much about how it changes my outlook my mindset and my behaviors um, how, how what have you learned about being more resolute and and your own the top the top 16% of your of your body about what how it can help you Oh, God, that's such a hard question. I mean, I think the power of the mind is everything. Um, when I, in the early stages, when I was in so much pain, it was really difficult to think, well, I can beat this and, you know, to feel really strong and I'm not going to give up. And I think in many ways, you have to go through things like that where you are completely by it. I mean, I was at a point where I just thought I just don't want to go on with this this life. I don't want it. And I think the turning point for me was my mom saying, "Well, okay, it's it's you give up, or you make the choice to have things to get better." And um, I kind of needed that. I needed her to say that to me. And. And then it was kind of like, okay, I've got to put my mind into how am I going to live with this illness? And it won't go away, just like your CF won't go away. It's relentless. And But how can I make my life fulfilling again? And that is all via the mind. And it's hard work sometimes. And there are days when I think, oh, God, you know, it's not fair. Or I wish I didn't have this thing. And um, I wish, uh, you know, you, you know what it's like. But it... But I, I can't explain why I keep going. But, you know, I just thought, right, I'm never going to give up. And I suppose I remember my coach coming, my tennis coach coming to see me when I was in hospital. And he found it very difficult talking to me. He was yeah. he, he, a lot of pain. We'd been, you know, we were great, great friends. And he only visited me once. And he said, Alice, just put into... You know, what you did on the tennis court, what you did to win these matches, he said, do it against this illness. Please use that determination to, to overcome, or not yeah. overcome, just get through your illness. And that's yeah. really to be resilient. Important. Yeah, because it knocks you down every day. And I mean, I liken battling CF to being in a boxing fight 
where this monster of an illness wants to just knock my lights out every single day and then more than knock my lights out wants to kill me mm. and it has killed many people with my illness and therefore I've got to wake up each day hear the bell ring as it were and start a fighting back but also making sure there are times where I don't take too much punishment uh, yeah. physically and mentally so you do get very very good at listening to the signals and the, what I refer to as the body whispering um, more so than probably someone that doesn't have such a condition yeah yeah I think so but you're right I mean it is a war against your body and you you just got to keep on keep on the fight and then there are some days when you're not going to fight so good and I think it's about forgiving yourself as well and thinking you know what today was not a good day yeah really bad I'm just gonna forget about that and um on you go but you know I I, I when I was first diagnosed I received a wonderful letter at the time I didn't really get it I wasn't that interested to be honest but I kind of think about it now and I wish I kept it and it was from a cousin who said it, you'll always go back to the person that you were so no matter what is thrown at you you will go back to the to the Alice you know and I think I think it was really by sort of saying you know, there are some people who are never going to be happy, no matter what happens. All the good stuff can happen. They're still not going to be happy. And then, so, and I think she was right. I did find myself again. I did. It took me a long time, but I did get back to that person. Um, so, and I've always been kind of a determined little terrier, you know. <laughs> so, um, it, it was just, it just took time to sort of get there. And I think that that's okay. Maybe share um, a daily habit or routine uh, that contributes to uh, your mindset or enduring what cannot be cured. Oh, okay. It's very dull, really, but it's important for me. Um, I, I mean, I can't do sort of lots of sport anymore, but I swim. And actually, when I was growing up, I was always a bit of a water baby. I loved the sea. I loved the waves. I loved being in the water. I find it incredibly healing. So I can get into the water, and if my arm or shoulder has been really sore, it feels just magical. Okay, um, wow. I mean, sometimes I will go off with a heavy heart. I think, oh, I can't be bothered. <laughs> but it's something that I really need to do, and I kind of do it like I brush my teeth. It's something I just pack my bag and go, and I always come back and feel a lot better having yeah. water. So I, I would say, to, yeah, that's probably the thing that really sort of and my dog I've got lovely Mr Darcy my little Lucas Terrier and kind of I, I remember he's 12 now and I do remember buying when I got him I was really anxious that I wouldn't be able to walk him all the time but you know what I just I just thought I'm just gonna get him and let's just see what happens and um, you know he and I have been on, so we go on walks every day together I mean there are some days when I can't get out but you know I get a friend to do it so yeah. that's really that's it sounds a real cliche but for your well-being getting out going to the park talking to other people that's a kind of habit as well that is especially when i'm a writer and i'm just sitting at my desk looking at my screen yeah it's really things like that and i've learned the power of nature to anchor myself in the present moment and everyone who would say they're more present finds the best trope or technique 
And nature for me is super helpful, whether it be listening to birdsong, stopping the brain from overthinking, uh, seeing a landscape, um, a cloud formation. Uh, what do you, what would you say is the way that you appreciate being more present and in the moment? It's oh, a hard question, Tim. Oh God. Okay. Um, what do I say? I think it's, I think I'm learning and this has been quite recent just to not worry about the things you don't have control over. And like you said, so, I'm trying to get much, much better at just thinking, don't worry about that, that's happening next week. And there's nothing you can do, so just enjoy tonight or what you're doing. And it doesn't always work, but um, it, it, it is that kind of just getting into your head, every moment matters. And just, I mean, I, I used to be sort of a bit crippled by anxiety sometimes and sort of anxious about stuff that was far too far ahead, racing on ahead, what happens if that goes wrong? So you kind of miss the moment right in front of you. So, yeah. you know, I, I work, for re I, I see a lovely woman who really helps me with that. So saying, just be in the moment and what will be will be. It is what it is. And, um, you know, just it's the little things in life that get, give me so much pleasure. You know, that first cup of coffee in the morning, taking sheets in your bed, you know, um, the sun, the sun is out. It's it's the little things I think. Just just don't worry about all the things you can't kind of control and just be in that. It's a precious little bubble where I don't suffer when I'm more present, and there's more calm when maybe there ought not to be. Yeah. Conversely, you I seem to have more enriched moments of contentment or joy. They're not fleeting. I really just appreciate that particular time and always bathe in that moment or moments. Uh, and I'm a big um, fan of trying to find throughout the course of any day, particularly the hard days when I'm not feeling very well, to almost seek out more of these special moments because at the end of the day, that, that would feel more special than any of the hardship I've encountered. Yeah, no, that's that's lovely. I really get that, and it kind of sustains you, doesn't it? So it keeps you, it keeps you going. Um, yeah. And yeah, no, I think that's lovely. Really nice. And you've you've been through a lot, uh, and you're doing very well. But what would you say would be your single biggest challenge now? Um. I think, oh, there are many challenges. My single biggest one would probably be, I am thinking about a counselling career, and that's a big commitment. Um, three or four years, so study. Um, do I want to be a student again? Um, it's very expensive. Um, so I'm kind of at the crossroads, making a decision there. I'll be a very different student to the one I was when I'm 18. So that kind of, that's a, quite a nice thought in a way. Um, so I think that's a big, big thing on my mind at the minute. Um, and then the other, just keeping well. I mean, I am well. But, um, often I get, still get terrible pain and I worry about that future and surgery and stuff like that. So I think just generally, just my biggest challenge is always just to keep well and keep going.
it's a big mantra in my family is just keep going. Keep going. That's the Peterson <laughs> way. 86 and I'm like, Dad, you got to keep going. And you know, <laughs> I, I do think about my parents a lot and I'm 45, they're getting on a bit and, um, you know, I can't imagine my life without them. So I try not to think about that too much. Um, okay. Well, good luck with um, whatever course you go on, whether it be a course or just another direction. Um, what would you say makes you laugh the most? Because laughter is a medicine for me. I'm quite yes. a cheeky, funny chap anyway, but and it's not an act. I try and find anything to try and make me have a laugh, be lighthearted. But what, what makes you laugh the most? Oh, anything and everything. I mean, I, it doesn't take much for me to laugh. I mean, I've got the the wrinkles and the laughter lines to show for it. I mean, nothing in particular. I'm just a bit a slightly silly sense of humour, really. Um, so it can be absolutely anything. Uh, I'm, and I mainly laugh at myself. Um, Not a bad but, habit. <laughs> but, you know, a friend might, we might be watching some incredible gymnastics on the TV and my friend would say, oh, Alice, you know, you should enter that competition. I mean, just stupid stuff. Okay. Like, you know, um, I think don't take life too seriously. Is, um, I laugh at anything, Tim. I mean, I, I love friends. I'll have a good laugh watching that. Yeah. Um, funny films, funny books. I mean, it doesn't take much for me to have a giggle. And yeah. conversely, what would make you cry? Because you, you're, you're probably quite stoic like me and it is repressed. But then some odd things like catch me out and I'm, you know, tears are rolling and I just wouldn't expect. But are you like that or is that, is that just me? It completely depends on my mood. I mean, I can watch a film and, and have tears rolling down my eyes. I mean, I, I remember watching Titanic with Kate Winslow, the big movie. I think I cried from about halfway through. <laughs> I, I can cry at anything. I mean, on a serious note, I could sort of, cruelty to animals really gets me. I mean, something like that. Yeah. And I, it pains me and I will, um, pain makes me cry. Um, but on a kind of more, I mean, you know, I can cry at and I soppy film and I'll probably be sitting there trying not to cry. Um, you know, big lump in my throat. Uh, yeah, pretty much anything really, Tim. And, and what do you, where do you need to be? Who do you need to be with? Um, or what do you need to be seeing to make something feel very special for you? What, what stands out for you as a very special moment in each day or, or maybe a life? Oh, okay. Um, what do I need to be doing? Again, do you know what? It's not, it's not about these grand gestures. It's about the really simple stuff, I think. Mm. I'm a friend or um, you know, I'm going to Dorset this weekend to see my sister. Um, so it's being surrounded by people that you love and that make you feel good about life. I mean, I think that's so important to be with people that make you feel good. And um, you know, some people can energize you and others slightly... So um, I think just being with really good being friends. With friends who love you, yeah, and yeah. And then on a kind of writing note, you know, I mean, I, my career definitely gives me uh, you know, that sort of self-esteem. I never wanted to be. Oh, Alice, she's the one with rheumatoid arthritis. I couldn't. I didn't want to be that. I'm. I'm so proud of having written. <clears throat> you know, my having written fiction and books and. 
So a really good moment is like today, I got my copy of If You Here, which is my latest novel, just gonna put that out there. And um, you know, that was an, a huge moment to un open the package and see, see my work. Um, and that, you know, that's fantastic. And that was the delivery before we started speaking. Oh, yeah. So what was the book called? Called if you were here if you were here yeah and yeah. Uh, my latest my latest novel and you know it never ever i never ever it, you know, it's my ninth novel but it means as much to me as the first you know if not more in a way um yeah. I, the excitement is is always there it's just you know, oh my god that's my work that's that i've done for the past two years so that um, felt a very special moment um yeah. Now, this podcast is called The Gift. Um, if you had a gift for listeners that you could offer them um, some advice, a message, what would that gift be? I think it would be to always talk to people when you're ready. Sometimes it's not easy to, to do it immediately, but I think the power of reaching out to other people and and um, telling them how you feel and if, if, if you don't have that then to, to get help you know, get professional help counseling whatever it is I mean the power of just somebody listening to you and understanding what you're going through is so it's so I mean it is a gift to have somebody there for you and I think I really learned you asked me earlier what have I learned I learned to swallow my pride a little bit and to say to people, you know what, I'm not okay. I'm really not. And um, let people in because your life will be so much, I can't speak for other people, but for me, my life was so much richer when I really told people how I'm feeling and, and got help and support. And, um, you know, having people alongside you is just, my parents and my family and all my friends. Um, yeah. I'd hate, I'd hate people to, to, to suffer alone, that's what I would say. Okay, well thanks for sharing that and I'm sure people will take a lot of solace from that. Um, where, how can people uh, be in touch with you via social media, what would you, what would you say to them? Um, oh, I'm on social media, I'm on um, Twitter and um, Facebook, I think I'm Alice Peterson one or something on Twitter. Um, I've got a website as well, which is alicepeterson.co.uk, so you can see, I think there's a contact. So I, I love getting feedback, I love receiving letters, um, mainly emails now actually, from people who've read my books, it's really special. And um, yeah, probably via my website is the easiest, I, I'd say, or Facebook. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on. Oh, Who's to say that it won't be the last time? Because you've got a lot to share, and we both have a lot of similarities in enduring what cannot be cured, but also, <clears throat> despite that hardship, having um, a demeanour uh, and a personality that is as upbeat as anyone could ever expect. Um, so it's a real pleasure to have you on board. Thank you. And, um, me. No, my it's an absolute pleasure. And I was going to say. For listeners, if you like the cut of my jib, follow my gig. You know, tell your friends about the gift. It's easy to subscribe on all podcast channels and rate the podcast. But also come and find me. I'm on Instagram as my name, Tim Watton. 
So let me know um, what you think of the show. Also, if you know of any guests that would really benefit from um, or have a story that would really resonate with my listeners, then get in contact with me, Tim Watton, and let me know about that special person. But for now, I'm going to sign off. Thank you for listening. It means a lot to me. And as ever, it's yours cup half full. Thank you very much. Bye.